Welcome, friends, to The Hero Beside Me, the podcast that seeks to explore the professional and private lives of working dogs of all kinds. For thousands of years, humans and canines have shared a special bond and an essential partnership, which continues to grow in importance in our society today. Dogs are helping humans in a myriad of ways, performing essential tasks that only they can perform. The more we learn about them, the more endless their potential seems to be. It is my goal to document the way these amazing animals are making an indelible mark on our world with their astonishing abilities, incredible drive, insatiable zest for life, and unconditional love, which they generously bestow upon their humans. Join me as I explore the wonder of these canine heroes beside us. In this episode, you'll hear from two California friends who met through the world of ring sports. Allison and Kirsty compete with their Belgian Malinois in the sport of Mondial Ring and French Ring, respectively. Kirsty also owns a small ranch and uses border collies to help her with herding cattle. These strong and talented women give us an inside look at their experiences with working dogs. Hi, I'm Girthy. I train rodeo horses, roping, and barrel racing for a living. Uh, my relationship with dogs has started at a very, very young age. My mom trained uh, field and trial golden retrievers, and I've always had a love for them. Moving forward with the ranch and having livestock and cattle and goats to move around, it pushed me more towards the herding breeds. So we have a border collie and then traveling a lot by myself got into the protection dogs for my Malinois. Hi, my name is Allison Segetti. I have been around dogs my whole life. Growing up, we had family pets. And as I got older, um, I groomed dogs when I was young to support myself. I did some dog training things through a pet shop when I was younger through a feed store. I have been involved in doing protection dog sports since the early 2000s. I am an attorney by trade, which actually I basically just use to fund my passion for dogs and horses. (laughs) Um, I do dog training in my spare time uh, really more as a hobby. Occasionally I will do it for friends and family but most of it is around the sport dog world at this point. I currently train in the sport of Mondio Ring, which translates to World Ring. Um, It's actually a derivative of French Ring, which is a very popular dog protection sport in France. Mondio Ring was actually brought about through French Ring and uh, another ring sport called Belgian Ring. And the powers that be in Europe got together and decided to make a third ring sport called Mondio Ring that could be done universally. So the idea behind it was if you did French Ring or Belgian Ring, you could also compete in the sport of Mondio Ring. French Ring, Belgian Ring, both of them started really as a breed selection competition. In Europe, ring sport's very popular in Europe. Here in the US, it's not nearly as popular, but you see French Ring here, you see Mondio Ring and a few other sports. There is no Belgian ring here in the US at this time. For Mondio and French ring, there are some differences, but in general, it's a combination of 
obedience. The dog and handler on the trial for field perform a series of obedience exercises. They then move to a series of jumping exercises, and then they go into protection sports where the dog is sent to bite a bad guy or bad girl who's wearing a protective suit. Essentially, you're testing the dog's skills and courage. Um, you're testing your ability to train the dog and handle the dog. When it was a, used as a breeding program, obviously you wanted the dogs who could do it all. Uh, now it's a lot more used for fun and not so much for breeding, but we still use it. Uh, I mean, the top dogs are often dogs who are also bred. Um, French ring is, is very similar. There are some subtle differences. French ring is a lot more structured as far as the exercises. It's always the same exercises, whether it's in the obedience, the protection, or the jumping. Mondia Ring gets to use a lot of really cool accessories. They have themes to their trials. French Ring is just very French, very strict, very precise. Uh, they really want to see the dogs operate as close to a robot as possible. And they just want very clean, precise movements from the dogs. They're so picky about how the dog lays down, not that they just did the skill, but how they move to lie down, how they move to stand up, how they walk around, how they look at you. I think to me that's the biggest difference that I've seen between the two sports. I chose French Ring because uh, that's what my dog excelled at. He's very trainable. He's not as driven for the protection part of it. He's very people pleasing. So he, he could be trained to a much more tight mold and more precise. Um, a lot of dogs don't like that finesse, that nitpickiness to it, they get frustrated. And that's where the balance between the protection drive and the obedience is. You need a little less obedient dog for the protection, but mine is on the more obedient side so we can kind of make everything fit together nicely that way. Before my meeting with Allison and Kirsty, I had never witnessed Mondio Ring or French Ring in action. So, on a late Sunday afternoon in the desert of Southern California, these two and their canines demonstrated their sports in action for me. So this exercise is called the send away or the send out. The dog's job is to run straight in a straight line 15 meters out. Um, this obviously isn't 15 meters, but that's the idea in competition. And then you whistle after they pass the cones and they're supposed to come back to you. In training, we usually use either a toy or a touch pad to teach the dog to run straight from us. Um, we start when they're very little puppies, usually with a bowl of food or a couple kibbles in a bowl and set it out in front of them and set them up in the pattern. I'm standing over my dog and putting my hands right in front of her face on either side. And that's the way I cue her to tell her your job here is just to run straight. I'm not sure if she got it, but we're going to try. Undabun. Yes. Good girl. Okay, let's try again. Not near me. Us. Undabun. Good job, mama. Good job. 
So for a French ring, like Allison said, we only have Axias, yella. He's like, I hate the heat. Asi. So we get a horn. I step up to my Axias. Opie. Asi. This is where I look at the judge. They give a horn, and then I have to walk a pattern. I'm not allowed to touch my dog. Um, I need to be just walking at a normal cadence, and it's doing two over 90 degree turns. Uh, the, occasionally there will be a horn. At that horn, I have two steps to come to a stop. And my dog has to stop and sit. Uh, it's done three times, loose, no, uh, on a leash, and then with the muzzle. Axius SC. And then here there would be a horn, and I can go, good boy, and walk off. Good job, good, good. A lot of clubs will offer both Mondio ring and French ring because the foundation work you do with the dog for the protection is basically the same. One of the main differences between Mondio ring and French ring is in Mondio ring, when the dog is biting the bad guy, the bad guy, the decoy, we call them decoys, the decoy may not touch the dog. In French ring, the decoy provides opposition to the dog by um, utilizing what we call a clatter stick, which is a bamboo stick. It makes a lot of noise. The decoy can hit the dog on the back with it. It's not something that's really painful and it's something that our dogs are used to. It's really more of a noise and just some opposition. Most dogs, the way we train them, when they hear that, when they feel that, it makes them more intent. Um, they get really excited. When my dog hears a clatter stick, she goes insane. If I shook it right now, you would hear an explosion of barking and yelping because that means she's about to bite. And our dogs, most of our dogs are bred genetically. They they want to bite, that's what they're bred for, that's what their bloodlines are for. And from a very young age, we make it a game for them, it's fun, they're not, our dogs aren't biting because they're mad, they're not biting because they're stressed or angry, they're like, this is a game, we get to bite the bad guy, it feels good when we bite, when we hear that stick, it makes me bite harder, it makes me run faster. Their drive is not out of aggression or because they want to be mean or bad dogs, it's the same type of drive as, uh, a lab has about putting a ball in their mouth or chasing a ball for hours every day or hopping in the pool. It's that same, but it's just in a different area. And these dogs are, their drive is for using their teeth and using their mouths for stuff. And because the mouth is always associated with biting, that's why we put so much time and effort into training them to make sure they are good to be around other people, good to be around other dogs and just the commitment for just owning one is very, very intense because they are 70, 75 pounds on average and they have a very intense drive. Our dogs in ring sport are trained to do ring sport. They are trained from a young, young age to bite a tug toy, to bite a, a bite suit. They don't bite skin. and. Our dogs want to bite those things. They don't want to bite skin. Most people don't want to tangle with a dog. And we've all seen enough videos on TV, on YouTube, on Facebook, of what a, a police dog, a canine dog, 
that is trained to bite flesh can do. And I have been bit, you know, as as a handler doing this, you inadvertently get bit sometimes. As a decoy, you inadvertently get bit. It happens. It hurts even with a dog who bites and lets go right away. They're like, oh, skin, that's bad. I mean, it's still, it can be a, a very damaging injury. It can be a devastating injury in some cases to take a live bite from a dog who knows what it's doing and doesn't let go. I don't ever want to be in that situation. Yeah. And and that's the goal. No, nobody wants their dog to have to go get sent on a bite in a real life situation and have that dog actually bite because you never know what somebody's willing to do to, or somebody's pain tolerance to, to fight through it, you know? I don't want to risk my dog getting stabbed or shot or punched or an eye gouged out. And and I think in a lot of cases, law enforcement's the same way. I mean, those, those are their dogs, but occasionally you have to. A crucial aspect of training dogs to do bite work for protection sports, law enforcement, or military purposes is the role of the decoy. Allison works as a decoy for her sport and gives us fascinating insight into the intricacies of working with dogs from inside a bite suit. The purpose of the decoy is to provide opposition. It's a courage test for the dog. So um, in Mondio Ring, we use the stick in front of us to try and keep the dog from coming through it to bite in French Ring. They do the same, but then once the dog is biting, they can keep the dog engaged by actually striking the dog with the clatter stick. It's a lot harder than they make it look. There's a lot more skill. Like I've never gotten in a suit. I've caught a dog on a sleeve and it's blown me away with how, they're called firmicles for a reason. Like they are powerful. Uh, it's amazing how much they can, just their body weight coming at you, how strong they can be. And it's, the decoys have to be very highly trained, very athletic, very strong, because if they hit them wrong, that force that the dog is committing to can give them spinal injuries, can hurt shoulders, hurt necks. They can, a, a decoy can cripple a dog very easily in just one bite if they don't do it correctly. So it's, it's not just somebody jumping in a suit and looking like the Michelin man. It's, it is very, thanks. <laughs> it's not, you guys have to work a lot harder. Like you guys work so hard at it that it's, I, I wouldn't allow my dog to go at anybody that just hops in a suit because yeah, I'm not afraid to get bitten by a dog because there's so much more skill to it than that. It's usually you have club decoys. Um, the club we trained with is the, the guy in charge of it was a decoy in France, a very high level decoy who came to the US but that's a very rare to have a decoy of that quality and that caliber in your club is very rare. Most people, you have to start somewhere. So you have somebody to say, oh, I'll do it. And they put on the, you know, you have to want to do it. It's not something that you're like, oh God, okay, I guess I'll do it. Like, you're like, yeah, I want to put on the suit. I want to see what it's like to be on that side of it. And you have dogs that are retired or older dogs 
and you learn, you have somebody who mentors you and shows you what to do and how to move and, and you start, I mean, you just have to get out there and start doing it. For me, I was lucky enough to train, you know, with some incredibly high level decoys on a regular basis because of the clubs I was in. Um, I also traveled all across the US to work with different decoys. I traveled to Europe to work with decoys. When you're learning, when you're, a, they call them, you know, club decoys, nobody pays you. You don't get paid to do it. You pay other decoys to teach you. Or, you know, they'll have a, your club will have a seminar, host a seminar and bring in a really high level decoy and you spend your time learning with that decoy. I have done work with some police dogs. It's completely different than ring dogs. I much prefer to work ring dogs over law enforcement dogs. There's actually a decoy in Northern California who also came from France, who was a really high level French ring decoy. And he started working with the Oxnard Police Department and training their police dogs. And he's an extremely talented individual. He was able to use his skills as a ring sport decoy to teach those dogs, not only to be exceptional canines, but they learned some different targeting. And, and you'll hear people say, oh, law enforcement dogs shouldn't target a certain area of the body. They just need to take what's available. And these dogs do that, but you can actually see the dog making the decision as they're coming in. If I present one thing, I've had law enforcement dogs who want to bite arms and I'll put my arms behind my back and take that target away. And I've actually had them come around my body, completely ignore my legs just to get an arm. And that's a dog who has inadvertently been trained to target. Whereas the dogs that this guy trained will target what's available, but the best available spot, which is really neat to see. There's a huge divide between like law enforcement training and ring sport training. Our, our dogs in ring sport generally are trained to target legs. Most law enforcement dogs are trained to target upper body and you work the dogs a little differently and law enforcement usually bring a little bit more pressure in different ways than you would um, because when, you, when you're in a suit looming over a dog and the dog is biting you, you're using spatial pressure, you're using the pressure of your clatter stick, you're using the pressure of your hands, your facial expression, you're bringing all of those things to it. My job as a decoy is to get your dog to stop biting me in trial, in a competition. In training, I'm encouraging your dog. You also have to build the dog to where they can take that pressure because in the highest levels of competition, you have decoys who bring a tremendous amount of pressure and you need to make sure your dog can handle it. Um, but yeah, when, when you start as a decoy, you just start learning and, and you dedicate yourself to the craft. I'm a CrossFit athlete and that is what allows me to decoy. You have to be strong. You have, I mean, there's people who will put on a suit who are excellent decoys who are not in the best shape, but most of them are big dudes. <laughs> I'm five foot four, I weigh 140 pounds. <laughs> I fight dogs that come running at me at, you know, over, over 30 miles an hour <laughs> that weigh 75 pounds. In both 
handling and decoying your breeding dogs. It, as a handler, I am training my dog, I'm shaping my dog, teaching it, preparing the dog to handle all of those exercises, to handle the bite work. Um, it's a, but again, you have to read your dog. You have to know when your dog is distracted. You have to know when your dog is focused. You have to know when you're gonna lose your dog. What we say, when we say lose your dog, you're out there in the ring with nothing on your dog. What's keeping your dog next to you? Um, you know, if I, if my dog sees a tug toy, that's her very favorite toy in the world, and it's 10 feet from her and we're walking by it and I see her look at it, as a handler, I have to know, oh man, she's gonna go for that toy. I need to do something to distract her. I need to reward her. I need to get her focus back on me. And that's in a training situation. Um, as a decoy, you're reading a dog and, and there's a difference between training decoys and trial decoys. Um, as a trial decoy, your, your job is to oppose the dog. You are there to try and keep the dog from biting you, to take points from the dog. So in, it's a competition. Your dog gets X amount of points for going down to bite, for the way they bite, when you call the dog back, for them letting go and coming back to you. As a decoy, I can take points from that dog by keeping them from biting me, by using my opposition to keep the dog from biting me. As a training decoy, you're teaching the dog, you're gonna get this opposition, but you can work through it. Don't pay attention to the man in the suit, bite the leg. If you don't see the leg, we're gonna teach you to bite the arm. Um, because there's different exercises where you use things so the dog can't see your arms or you can't see your legs. And so you have to teach the dog. As a, a good training decoy, reads every dog that comes to him or her and understands what that dog needs to make them strong. Good training decoys are worth their weight in gold because they understand what works for Kirstie's dog may not work for Allison's dog um, and vice versa, you know, and you have to figure out what builds that dog, what teaches that dog to be strong. How do you make that dog confident? How do you make your dog come on the field and say, I can kick that decoy's ass? Because at the end of the day, that's really what it is. Most of the people who do ring sport, and not all of them, most of them are dog trainers. Some of us, it's a hobby. I have a full-time job that has nothing to do with dogs. It's my hobby. Um, Kirstie has a full-time job that has nothing to do with dogs. Mm -hmm. So it's a hobby. But most of the people involved in this are dog trainers. They're working with dogs every single day. They're training dogs, training a variety of dogs. As a handler, it benefits me hugely to also be a decoy because I've learned a whole new way to read a dog. And so I'm able to prepare my dog a little bit differently because I know I have that other angle to look at. Um, so it's a, for me, it's a benefit. And, and as a decoy, it helps to also be a handler because I, I know what handlers teach their dogs. I know what we do, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and again, it, it gives you a different way to read a dog. And for somebody who's not a dog trainer who doesn't do it every day, that's two different ways I learned to read dogs. And you learn, you know, as a decoy, you better figure it out pretty quick. Otherwise, you're gonna get your butt handed to you over and over and over again. And yeah, we're protected by suits, but you get pressure. You still feel the pressure of those bites. The suit that I have with me is my trial suit. It's very thin, it's very lightweight, so I can move fast. You really feel the bites through that suit. 
Um, my training suit's a lot thicker, it's a lot heavier, I move a lot slower, it's a lot more cumbersome, it's also more protective because if you're catching five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dogs, <laughs> you need that protection. Allison and Kiersey have given us a lot to think about when it comes to working with dogs in protection sports. They have each dedicated an enormous amount of time, resources, and effort to this. At the end of the day, what keeps them coming back for more? For me, it's the relationship with my dog um, and, and watching that culminate in, in what we do. Mondeo ring, French ring, any ring sport you do with your dog is an incredible time commitment. <laughs> it's, you know, that's your hobby. You don't really have time to do other stuff. You know, every weekend I'm training my dog. <laughs> every free weeknight I'm working out or I'm training my dog, you know. Um, and the relationship you build with your dog and the communication you have with your dog is incredibly rewarding. And what you don't know, or I guess you wouldn't know, when we're actually in competition, your dog goes in naked. You don't have a collar on your dog. You don't have a leash on your dog. You're allowed to give one command at the start of the exercise, and then you can't talk to your dog. There's no rewards, no treats, no pets, no good dog. It's one skill after the other, very rigid, very precise. And, and there's three different levels in both Mondeo ring and French ring. So um, as the levels progress, the length of the program gets longer. So level three, which is the hardest level, can be 45 minutes to an hour. And that's of you communicating with your dog, doing some things that it really loves and being able to call your dog back to you giving one command, you know, it, it's it's incredible to to spend the time training these things and then watching a dog be able to execute it. And yeah, it's it's helpful to be a good trainer, to be very clear with your dog. But at the same time, it's really what your dog is the one who's doing it. Like, yeah, we showed him how, but you have to rely on your dog to do those things. And at the end of the day, going out and watching somebody do that with their dog is incredible. It's incredible to watch that relationship. It's also super expensive <laughs> and I mean, but we do it and we make these huge sacrifices, but I mean, when you're competing and training to compete, you, you really don't have time for anything else and it, it's, it's expensive, it's time consuming, it's long hours, it's really hard work. It can be very frustrating, but at the end of the day, when you watch your dog do these exercises, I mean, Belgian Malinois are incredible athletes, incredible. And when you see them do the things that they're bred to do, it is amazing. It's amazing to watch, it really is. It's, you're like, oh my God, that's incredible. And they do it and they love it, they love it. I really do like the relationship it builds between dog and handler, but with my dog, my favorite look when I'm training him <clears throat> is after he's recalled from biting the decoy and the look on his face as he gets within like 15, 20 feet of me is just like, yeah, I got them. I protected him. And he comes right next to me, looks up at you like, I did good. And it's just, he's so expressionate about that. And he's just so, you can just see like the joy popping out of his fur. It's like he so does. happy he that really he was able to go do that. And it's, it's fun just really asking him to do all these intricate stuff, like the obedience. Most of them do it and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll get through it. But they just absolutely love knowing they did a good job on decoy work.
For the second half of our show, Kirstu talks to us about life with a dog on a ranch. It's a small, I guess you'd kind of call it a city rural ranch. We're not far from the city. It's only on uh, 15 acres, just enough to train rope horses. The steers are back in a holding pen and I use a dog to move them by myself up to the roping arena, up the uh, return alley and into the roping chutes. And so the dog is there as an extra person and a helper. A dog is worth three people on horseback because they're so much faster, so much easier to control. They read the livestock much better than a person does. Because cattle are a flight or a prey animal, they respect the dog a lot more than they do a horse, which is another prey animal. So the, the ranch dogs, the border collies are family pet to working dog. They stay in the house at night, they go up and when I go feed in the morning, they become your shadow. They have a very natural, natural bond with their handlers. They want to work with someone. And so he just cuts up, follows me everywhere. If I walk 10 feet, he walks 10 feet. If I stand there for too long, he'll lie down and just wait for me and go through and feed all the horses. Um, if I wait too long at one spot, he'll hop in a water trough. Uh, it doesn't matter how hot or cold it is but then just waits patiently while you, you get horses saddled up and you tell him, okay, we're going to work. And he'll step up to the plate and help me bring steers up, get behind him, help push. The cattle are more intimidated by him because it's the prey drive that they work on is cattle or prey, dog is the predator. They respect them a lot more than they do when I'm on foot or on a horse. And our cattle are very domesticated. <laughs> <laughs> so they definitely do not take me seriously and they don't take a horse seriously, but they will definitely pay more attention and respect a dog a lot more. So I use them to bring the steers up uh, the return alley up into the roping chutes where I put their uh, protective horn wraps on and then he can wait patiently in the shade or in a water trough while I rope the steers and then when I need him for an, uh, more help, call him and he comes right up and helps again. And the Border Collies are a very interesting breed. Well, not just the Border Collies, but any of the Border Collies, McNabs, Kelpies, are very interesting to work with because they, they understand the job. When you're working them, you can't tell them, okay, just do this because they don't understand it. You tell them, do this because then we're going to do this. They start to put the whole pattern together and then they'll start doing it on their own. So as Huck gets more experience, I will be able to open the gates and send him by himself and he'll bring everything up on his own on one command because he understands what it, what he needs to do. If he sees that he pushes 10 steers up and leaves one behind, he'll on his own without any command from me will know to look back and go get that last one too. They're very big problem solvers. They're very independent dogs, which can make it very difficult to do obedience with because they like having their independence, but it makes them so helpful. There's hundreds of videos you can Google on YouTube where you'll see a rancher go outside, let his two or three dogs out and just say, go get the cattle. And the dogs will disappear and 10 minutes later, they come in with all of them and the rancher will count them and they have not missed a single one. They know how to work together as a team. They problem solve. When you handle multiple dogs at one time, Usually when you have one dog and one handler, 
everyone has a certain pitch. A whistle, the way they say something, the dogs don't understand the word you're saying, they just understand the sound and know what the sound means. But now if you train multiple dogs and are working them all at the same time, you would expect there to be some confusion where you tell one to lay down and hold this flank on the steer, that area, and send the other one around to push them. You would expect the dogs to get the commands or not know who which dog you're talking to. The herding dogs, they, they understand the job enough that they know they're not talking to me, they're talking to the other dog. So they're very, very smart. To some extent, you can set them up and start them in a way, but they'll figure out. It's kind of, it's all like watching a sports team that's been together, like a volleyball team, that people just, the players know where everyone is, even if they aren't saying anything. They just get to have a spatial awareness about the whole team and everyone's placement, and the dogs are very similar to that. A lot of it comes down to instinct. There is training where you start you start small and work on sheep and goats and one or two at a time, and then slowly progress into a larger herd. If the dog has enough uh, presence and enough courage, you can move them up to cattle. Because uh, cattle are just, they're big. Cattle kick, sheep don't. Sheep are very, very adorable. When they try to be intimidating, they just look at you and stomp their feet. When you go now to a cow that will turn around and try to headbutt you, run you over, or if you're driving them from behind that will kick them, if the dog's not ready for the kick, your dog might get kicked and go flying back 10 feet. The dog that hits the ground gets up and runs back at that same cow and bites him to make him mind and behave is the type of dog that can work cattle. Not, not every dog can take that. Cattle have to be dog broke and know that they can need to respect the dog. Some cows think a dog, have never seen a dog before and cattle are very curious animals. So they want to come over and just see what it is. And that's when the dog will have to nip at him and put a little bit of fear in between our fear slash respect for the dog. There's other cows that have been worked by dogs and automatically have that respect. Or you have wild cows that have been lost out in the range because they were missed on a couple of the roundups and they're having a great time, but then they get a little independent and think they can do whatever they want. And those dogs have to be a little bit more forceful with making them respect the dog. Border Collies are very, very sensitive and the Kelpies are as well that they they creep up on livestock very quietly. Mostly that's come into that those breeds based off of what they're originally bred for. There's a bunch of herding breeds and each dog was bred for something, a different type of work, depending on the origin of where the country they were bred or they came from. So like you have the Border Collies, which were Scotland, and they were used to bring 20, 30 head of sheep and just bring them in bring them from a big pasture, bring them in for shearing, let them go back out. So that dog had to be able to work a big area. It wasted a lot of time, it wasted a lot of energy if a border collie had to go to one sheep and push that one all the way there, then come back and get another one to push it out. So it had to really creep up on them and feel the whole bubble of that whole herd and slowly bring it all together. Then you have a Australian cattle dog or a Queensland healer out in Australia because they don't have the grass. They don't range them out on big ranges. They do them in smaller pens. Now you have a dog that needs to be very aggressive, very forceful on pushing cattle through pens, through smaller areas to get to another pen. So they push them 
up a loading ramp into a trailer. So if you have a dog that works just off of that quiet bubble where Border Collie's like, please move, please move, a lot of times in those tighter areas, it's gonna be a stalemate because it's not enough force to make the livestock move. You have the Queensland that says, please move. Okay, fine, you will move. And they drive them that way. <laughs> German Shepherds, the Belgian Malinois as well, are actually herding dogs. And German Shepherds were herding dogs to where they herd. And if you actually have a, it's hard to find, but they've had a couple in California where it's a uh, German Shepherd herding competition. They have to have over a hundred head of sheep and that's why it's so difficult because a German Shepherd is supposed to be a living fence. They are not used as much to move livestock as to contain it. There are some Malinois who can herd now. There are some, but they were also used to keep anything and everyone away from the livestock. Kind of like a, a, a living electric fence. I had Australian cattle dogs, or they're also known as Queensland healers before I actually got into Malinois. And I actually would move rodeo stock in and out of like big stock trailers with the healer, um, one of my healers. Since Kirsty and Allison too have worked as dog handlers on both the sporting side and the herding side, I wondered if it was the same sort of bond and relationship that they had with the dog and the same sort of experience as a handler, or if there were differences and what those differences were like. I'd say it's a little bit different in that because the herding dogs, when you have to send them out to go get cattle on their own, they have to make those decisions on their own, they're, they're purposely a lot more independent. They don't need you. And so you are more the sidekick, less partner. And so when they come back, they're like, yeah, look at me, I did a great job, but I didn't really need you. Like, oh, a lot of times if you have a work a herding dog outside and there's livestock you'll notice that they just wander off and are moving the cattle all by themselves just for fun and you have to bring them back and tell them no tie them up bring them in the house that they don't just keep pushing the cattle around for no reason but they will it's just their it's their drive i don't know i, I for me there's something very special about watching a dog do what it's naturally bred to do. And I, I guess I really hadn't given it much thought, but it's been a long time since I had a healer who worked cattle, but there was always something very special about watching her do that because that's what she was bred to do. And I wasn't able to offer her that all the time, really only when the rodeo came into town. On an emotional level, I think there's something really, really special about watching a dog do what it's bred to do. And whether it's, you know, a dog that you have a partnership with, like you do in ring sport, where it's a very tight partnership or something where you have an independent dog, like in herding, there's still something really unique about watching a dog get to do what it's bred to do, other than, you know, watching your dog lay on the couch while you eat ice cream and watch TV. <laughs> because we have dogs that are bred for that too. Um, they're called King Charles Cavalier Spaniels. If you need a pet, that's the dog you get. It's really neat to watch these dogs. They're incredible thinkers. They're incredible athletes. And to watch them do that stuff is amazing. I agree. From the herding side, it's, you can go and compete. You can do herding trials, but just using the dog every day on the ranch, it's, it's like having an extra person, an extra buddy around there. And it's really, really fun being able to just have that 
teamwork, that partnership where you silently communicate and know what the job is and it just gets done. It's really, really fun being a part of that magic, if you want to call it that, of that type of relationship working with your dog is cattle are coming towards me and I'm looking six of them down the face going, please don't run me over. You guys weigh about 700 pounds each and little 45, 50 pound border collie comes up and jumps in front of you and shows them their teeth and they back down. Like that's, <laughs> that's a really cool relationship to have with a dog. And it's fun seeing that work that you don't, you don't have to ask them for it. They just want to do that. You have a really special relationship with your mouth. I do have a special relationship with my mouth. It's the same thing, but just not with cattle. He'll, he'll definitely step up. He's not afraid to step up and step into things to protect me. And it's just really fun having that relationship as well with, with multiple dogs. I agree with the sentiment that it is an amazing thing to behold a dog doing what it's been bred to do. What about you? In fact, I would go so far as to say that it is amazing to watch anything in God's creation doing what it was meant to do. To see something fulfilling its purpose gives one a sense that there is potential for good in the world and that we too could fulfill our purpose by doing what we are called to do. Watching a dog at work has a way of awakening something deep inside your soul. I would wager a guess that that's part of the reason that you find yourself listening to this podcast right now. As a final note to their thoughts, Allison and Kiersey left us with some nuggets of wisdom concerning the prospect of adopting a high-drive working dog breed. It's not for the faint of heart. If you're looking to adopt a dog but don't plan on actually giving it a job, perhaps consider adopting a different kind of breed. They're cool. Look at them in pictures and on YouTube, but do not get one. They are a handful. They have energy. They have needs that need to be met and a walk around the block is not going to cut it. Playing fetch until you're tired is not going to cut it. Um, they are, these dogs are extremely intense, whether it's for a French ring, Mondia ring, any protection sport, just all working dog breeds. They all, they're bred to work, whether that's a Kelpie, a Border Collie, McNabb, Malinois, German Shepherd, Dutch Shepherd, like they're, they're bred to work and a normal household can't handle their needs. A walk once a day isn't gonna cut it. A backyard isn't gonna get cut it. They're gonna get very destructive and that's why they end up in shelters. And it's very sad and people love them because everyone puts their best videos up on social media of my dog can walk a tightrope. My dog can balance a water bottle on its head. Like it's, it's really cool how trainable these working dogs are because they want, they want to do stuff. They've got very busy minds and the general population does not have the time, the room for that. Like, border collies will go out there and work all day in the hot sun, like 100 degrees out. Huck would be fine because when he gets hot, he's gonna take a quick dip in the water trough, come back out and keep working. Like he will regulate his body temperature because he'll hop in water troughs. But he'd be out there working cows sun up to sun down if, you, if I would let him. If we had stuff to do all, all day like that, he would be down for it. And that's why a good border collie, a good herding dog is worth so many more. Like one dog can cover a job of three people. They work harder, they work longer. 
they can get through fences and tight areas so much faster and they need that. They can't sit in a the house. They destroy stuff very quickly. Walls, couches, working cars. dogs need to work. And if you get a dog that's bred to do bite work, then do bite work with the dog. You know, if you want a dog to do something else, then get something else. Because when you watch Working Lion Malinois doing protection work, you can see the look on the dog's face when they're biting. You can see that they're like, God, this is what I meant to do. And why would you deprive your dog of that? You know, it's like me biting into a cheeseburger. It's like, this is what I meant to do. I do a lot of work with um, Malinois Rescue and I see a lot of dogs come into our rescue. I see a lot of Malinois in shelters. You want a Malinois, go to any shelter. They're there, everywhere. And it's because people just don't understand the commitment. If you think you want one, give me a call. You can borrow mine for a week. I guarantee you're probably gonna bring her back and say, I never ever want one of these dogs. They don't stop. They're not bred to stop. And yeah, she's good in the house because I trained her to do that. Be realistic, get a dog that suits your lifestyle. Thank you, Allison and Kirsty, for sharing a bit of your working dog world with us. Listeners, if you're interested in getting involved with the sport of Mondioring, Allison says they're trying to grow their sport, so get in touch. You can visit the United States Mondioring Association's website at usmondioring.org, and you'll find Allison if you click the decoys tab. If you happen to be in the market for a roping horse, Kirsty's got your back. Look for Diamond TK Ranch on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave a positive review so that others who are interested in the topic can find us. I'm your host, Shauna T., and I happen to be a professional photographer. I'm currently working on a photography project about the professional and private lives of working dogs. If you're interested in learning more about the project, please visit the website herobeside.me and sign up for the newsletter. Again, that's herobeside.me. Thanks so much. Remember to give some extra love to the furry hero beside you today.